You're listening to The Final Call with Chelsea Mendelson and Anthony Ferrero. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to episode 19 of The Final Call. I'm Chelsea Mendelson alongside Anthony Ferrero, as always. And we've got a lot of stuff to talk about today, mostly in related to college sports because college football is still like at its peak right now. College basketball just started up and some crazy stuff happened in both of those realms this week. Um, but we're going to start with talking about some MLB sort of offseason type stuff. So, Anthony, take it away. Yeah, so some of this stuff is going to be quick, rapid fire. First of all, the Marlins we talked about let go of Kim Ang, mutually parted ways. We talked about that. So the Marlins actually hired a new president of baseball operations, Peter Bendix. And the reason I'm going to go over this fast is because he was the general manager of the Rays. Baseball is one of the sports, very few sports, I feel like, where a lot of times existing general managers will just leave their current team to go to another team. You see that I can think of, I don't want to say it happens all the time, but I can think of several occasions in the past 20 years where we've seen people leave front office roles from one team to go to a different team, whether it's because they have a bigger budget, a bigger market, they have better players, whatever it is, teams in, or people in positions of power will leave to go to similar positions of power. In this case, an even better position of power. Uh, with different teams. That's the key here. Um, and this will be a touching point that people will leave jobs to go to other teams. We'll we'll touch on that here in a second, but I just want to get that as precedent out of the way. So they get their new president of baseball operations. Meanwhile, the Angels are going to hire Ron Washington as their manager. This is big because like Ron Washington is on like the all good people team, like first team. Of all good people, Ron Washington is on there. He's 71 years old. He was a big league manager for a long time. It was most recently, I believe, a third base coach for the Atlanta Braves. The, you know, as much as I ranted about them, I called their offense historic. Uh, Ron Washington was part of that team. He's a great person. He is a great man. He is now managing the Angels, who have, for lack of a better term, been an absolute dumpster fire with the Otani situation, everything that has gone down there. Trout is one of the best players in baseball, arguably in baseball history, depending on how you want to look at it. He's been hurt all the time. So to get a cultural reset and a good person above all else, good person and a great baseball mind in there should do wonders for the Angels. So there's that. The Mets hire a new manager, Carlos Mendoza. He was like a bench coach, which is like an assistant coach. Uh, for the Yankees, so stays in New York, goes to manage the Mets. However, that's not the big Mets news I want to talk about. I saw this come out there, and I love it. So the Mets owner is Steve Cohen. He's a hedge fund guy, and he is, like, made of money. Like, I'm, everything, he's just, he just, I'm pretty sure when he cries, coins, pennies drip when he cries. This man is made of money which is a Mets fan's dream. In baseball, you want your owner to be made of money. So Steve Cohen comes out, and he proposes an $8 billion, with a B, entertainment district adjacent to City Field, which is where the Mets play. First of all, I love this as an idea, because I think I think almost like small cities, but, you know, 
districts where you have entertainment surrounding your sports area are fantastic. I know that in Cleveland, I believe it is, um, the Guardians and the Cavaliers are close to one another. Um, they have um, kind of a district. You know, in Arizona, for example, the Suns and the Diamondbacks are a two-minute walk uh, between the stadiums where they are currently. But all that's there right now are very few restaurants and then, like, apartments, apartment buildings where, you know, Steve Cohen is talking about doing surrounding the stadium with a couple different things. Uh, first of all, the project, which, again, $8 billion with a B, would include amenities like 20 acres of green space, athletic fields, playgrounds. It would include a hard rock hotel and casino, as well as many other fan experiences in the area. So they're really building up this massive expansion area to one, get people to come to City Field and come to Mets games. And two, even if you're not going to the games itself, you can still hang out, come to this area, support the team, be around. And it, what I love this is it's creating more of an atmosphere around your sport. Instead of just going to a sport, you are going to creating this atmosphere around your sport and around your team. I know plenty of people in baseball and basketball, really all different types of sports. If the stadium is way in Timbuktu, that prevents me from wanting to go to the stadium. But if you have things surrounding the stadium, then I have more to do. Think of we're in Arizona. Think of what the what the Coyotes used to have. Obviously, they're not there anymore. But what the Cardinals have in Glendale. I do not want to travel to Glendale because it is far away. But when you consider all of the shops and the things that are happening around Glendale, around that area next to the Cardinal Stadium, it makes it more likely to where I could go to a Cardinal game and then go to the surrounding shops and restaurants. And it gets me to go out there. That's what Steve Cohen is trying to achieve here with the Mets. And I am all for it. Chelsea, what are your thoughts not only on the idea of this expansion, but the price tag as a whole and just everything about it? That's a lot of money. Yeah. And uh, as someone who lives in central Phoenix, um, very close to Tempe, and I have a lot of friends and family in Tempe, um, I, I bring this up because they... Um, they just, as you talked about the Coyotes for a second, the Coyotes wanted to build essentially what you're describing for the Coyotes in Tempe. I think it was probably half that amount of money or like nowhere near that amount of money, but still a, basically the same thing, a giant entertainment district in Tempe, which for those who aren't from Arizona or have never been to Tempe, um, already super trafficy city, already very chaotic at all times because ASU is basically the city think um what disneyland is to anaheim asu is to tempe pretty much um just like causing traffic everyone is there for asu uh my dog is squeaking his toy ignore that anyway um <laughs> um so tempe said absolutely not to the coyotes and i feel like the mets might get the same response wilbert you know it's fine um 
I don't know, though. I don't know, though. Um, it sort of depends on what the proposal, you know, has, if the city feels like that's worth it for them. But it is a very, very big investment. Um, and, you know, he wants tax dollars. And I think a lot of people are like, mm, I don't know if I want my tax dollars to go to that, which is super valid, especially for the people that aren't into sports at all. Like, why would why would we do this much money? Um, so, you know, I could see both sides of it. Um, in my brain, New York has enough stuff, you know, like I, yeah. I don't think that they need more stuff. They already have like, I feel like every single sports league, half the teams are in New York. Like, why do we need more to me? You know, why, why do we need more stuff built for sport? I've been to New York. It felt like no matter where I looked, I could see one of the arenas or stadiums when you're in New York, even the one in New Jersey, like you could see that. So like, I don't know, like I said, I could see it going either way. Um, I don't know that it's super um, impactful to those who aren't in New York. Um, just like the Coyotes thing, probably not impactful to those who aren't in Arizona or especially in Tempe. Um, but yeah, I, I'm curious to see how far that proposal goes. The part that I will say I think might be relevant to people outside um, is the idea of a hotel um, and to a further extent a casino. But Steve Cohen's partnering with the Hard Rock uh, company, um, and that's the hotel that is going to go close by. I think that might be a big deal should people want to travel, um, whether it's for regular season games, but also playoff games. I am not familiar with the layout of City Field and the area surrounding City Field. So I cannot speak to what the hotel scene looks like or anything like that. Um, but, you know, I thought you brought up a good point. The traffic. New York is already one of the most you know, traffic infested cities in the world. Um, bringing in, you know, even more potential traffic to the area does not seem smart. Um, you know, as I mentioned, I still like the idea of a community surrounding the sports event. Um, an atmosphere, if you will. Um, but I think you brought up some really good points. Um, definitely something to watch for. I think it's cool. Obviously, it's going to take years for that to get done. But um, kudos to Steve Cohen for reinvesting in the baseball team to get results out of there. I, uh, I see what he's going for. A um, couple more pieces for baseball. The Guardians hire a new manager. They hired Stephen Vogt, which is interesting for the simple fact that he last played baseball in 2022. He just retired last year. This current season, he served as a coach with the Seattle Mariners, I believe. And now he's already being hired by the Guardians. And the reason why I bring that up is because baseball is a sport to which you may see guys retire and if you you can kind of tell when they're playing, hey, this guy's going to be a manager. This guy's going to be a coach. You can kind of have that feeling. He's one of the guys where the Guardians interviewed him, and the word on the street from the Guardians was, we cannot let this guy leave the building. His attitude, his way of leadership, it is infectious. We cannot let him leave. You know, he's obviously going to be very young, very new to this thing, never done it before. Uh, but kudos to him getting a manager position first time. Uh, recently retired. I thought that was crazy. Uh, you know, I heard someone brought up the fact that in his last at bat, 
Um, I believe he hit a home run uh, in 2022. And all of a sudden now, you know, a year later, two seasons later, technically, he's going to be the manager of a big league ball club. Crazy, meteoric rise, but good for him. Um, and lastly, the big news that, you know, I kind of teed off at the beginning with, you know, play or people will leave positions of power for either the same or better positions of power. Um, Craig Council was the manager with the Brewers. His contract expired and it did not look like the Brewers were going to bring him back. They were kind of in talks, but it was kind of shaky grounds. It never looked like it was going to be a thing. So Council is free to talk to other teams. Um, and he interviewed with the Guardians and the Mets, who both, you know, as I talked about, hired other people. All of a sudden, the Chicago Cubs, who were in the same division as the Brewers, so they are their rivals, they come out and they hire Craig Council. Chelsea, they still had a manager at the time when they hired a new manager. That is unprecedented. I talked about you may hire someone else to come run your team uh, from a different position to yours. That happens. But to have it happen while you still have a manager is insane. We saw, you know, the Giants who didn't have a manager took the Padres manager and took him as their own and Bob Melvin. That already happened this year. That is normal. But to hire someone while you still have a manager is wild. So they're, the Cubs manager at the time, David Ross, they barely missed the playoffs. He was well-respected in the building. And they did have a little bit of a collapse in the final month. They should have made the playoffs, ultimately didn't. That may have been why they go to look outside. Craig Council ends up getting the Cubs job. Everyone is like, what is happening because, you know, David Ross gets let go all of a sudden because the Cubs hired Craig Council and give him a massive payday. They gave him a, let me make sure I get the numbers right, a five-year, $40 million contract, which is eight, you know, eight annually, which completely blows the roof off of manager salaries for baseball. The highest I want to say right now is like five. And Council just got eight per year. So it completely blows that up. But the the idea of hiring someone when you... That's like hiring a head coach. When you still have a head coach, that is essentially what has happened. And right after the hiring was like reported on by, you know, people with sources, the Cubs put out a statement saying like, hey, David Ross, thank, the owner, Jed Hoyer, said, hey, you know, Thank you, David Ross. You're well-respected within the community. Thank you for what you've done. We've decided to go in a different direction. And then like two seconds later, it was like, hey, we have hired Craig Council, you know, um, amazing coach with the Brewers. And he is. Craig Council is a very good coach. Obviously, he's paid as such now with a very handsome raise. But yeah, this concept, when it was unfolding, and a lot of these managerial hires happen on the same day. So we're kind of going off of one another. And all of a sudden, this happens, and we're all like, what? <laughs> Everyone's confused. Kind of a bombshell in the baseball community. So Chelsea, getting your thoughts on 
that entire thing of hiring someone while you still have a coach. That's crazy. I didn't hear about that at all. Um, that is very unhinged. Uh, that's like homie wasn't even done like packing his office up yet, and they hired a new dude. Like, yeah, I've never heard of that happening, like at any level of any sort. And like, I feel like especially in the last year or so, I've heard a lot of very scandalous things happening in front offices of sports teams. Uh, not even just the professional level, also the collegiate level. Um, so that's uh yeah i've never heard of that happening before um kind of disrespectful i'd say like even if things weren't working out like you know the suns fired monty williams they waited like a while before they hired somebody else like come on now like you gotta you gotta wait a minute you gotta wait a minute before you hire like doesn't matter if what the position if it's manager if it's coach if it's i don't know literally any other position you gotta wait. You gotta be like, okay, yeah, we're firing this dude. And then at least wait like a couple days and then be like, oh, we got a new dude. Don't worry, everyone. That's valid. Being like, fire hire, like back to back, like, no, you don't do that. That's a bad look. That's a really bad look. Yeah. And the weird, the weirdest part about it all is that it's not like the Cubs were bad. This was David Ross in his second year. The Cubs took a jump this year. Like I said, they really fell apart. They shit them in the playoffs, completely fell apart the last month of the year and lost that playoff spot. But things were still looking good. Players respected the manager. From what, you know, what we all saw, everything was, obviously it sucks that you missed the playoffs. You have that fall. But everyone was, you know, things were looking good. Things were looking up. They had improved from last year. Things were looking good. And then all of a sudden, granted, I... I think we all think Craig Council is a better manager than David Ross. That I'm not going to argue. But to your point, you could have handled it better. You know, there there were no reports out about Ross being fired anyway. It all of a sudden came together. It was like, I remember what, uh, following along on social media, it was Craig Council. It was the Mets make their hire. It's not Craig Council. That was that was the big rumor is that council's going to the Mets. Okay, it's not happening. They hire Mendoza. Council's not going to the Mets. And then it was like half an hour later. Okay, council's not staying with the Brewers. And then another hour goes by. Council is being hired, but in another manager role. Another hour goes by. He's being hired as a manager to a team that still has a manager. And then half an hour went by, and it's like, oh, that team is the Cubs. And then all of a sudden, this massive bombshell happens, and we're all just kind of sitting on our heels trying to figure out what's going on. But yeah, that absolutely massive story um, that's been absolutely crazy. That's pretty much how for baseball news. Uh, managers are still being hired. Baseball free agency is happening. Um, teams uh, are talking to players. No big deals have gone down yet. Um, nothing massive as far as trades have happened yet. Everyone's on Otani watch. Um, there are other really good players. There's a really good pitcher from Japan um, who will come over as well and play. So, you know, when those updates happen, we'll bring them to you here with analysis and whatnot, what we think about them. Um, but for now, yeah, just 
off season cleaning the books, typical housekeeping type baseball stuff. Uh, Chelsea, we will transition to the college game now. Yes, and I'm very excited about that because, like I said, uh, you know, a lot has happened this week, uh, both in basketball and um, in football. Um, I think we're going to start with with basketball, though, because that one, there's some stories we want to talk about that are a little bit personal for us. Um, but first, we'll start with the not-so-personal one. I wish it was personal. I would love to meet her. The GOAT, potentially, of college basketball, which we'll talk about that discussion as well. Caitlin Clark. What, what can you possibly say about Caitlin Clark that hasn't already been said? She's already continuing the hype. She's the consensus number one pick, hopefully a future member of the Phoenix Mercury. Um, she, I mean, she is just incredible. I have her stats. I already did. Now they're gone. I have her stats pulled up from this season. Mind you, they've only played two games and then two exhibition games, but still, okay? She's averaging 36 points, seven and a half rebounds. She has 16 assists over two games, so averaging eight assists. She's shooting, like, really good splits. She's shooting 50% from the field, including 36% from three, which, mind you, that's on a lot of threes. She's three for 25 in two games. Like, come on. I saw someone, and, like, you can argue with this all you want, but... I saw someone say on Twitter that she is better than some of these dudes in the NBA. And I wholeheartedly believe that. And I know a lot of people want to be like, well, the NBA is better than... I don't... Shut up. Okay? No, it's not. These are players playing at the same level. All right? Caitlin Clark is better than some of the dudes in the NBA, period. And I do not want to hear a discussion about it otherwise. All right? She is a shooter. She is the female Steph Curry. She is next. She is the next Diana Taurasi. She's the next Sue Bird or whoever you think the GOAT is of the WNBA. That, that is Caitlin Clark. She is incredible. And also, let's talk about the fact that, I mean, I don't want to say single-handedly in disrespect the Iowa roster like that because they have some ballers, okay? But let's say it anyway. She single-handedly filled up an entire football stadium to watch her play basketball, okay? If she is not on that team, Iowa does not fill that stadium, period. And I don't want to, I mean, duh, come on. And when she's on a WNBA roster, whatever arena she ends up in, whether that's Footprint Center, whether that's wherever the uh, Fever, Indiana play, because they're the ones that are probably going to have the first overall pick, whoever it happens to be, the Sparks jump up or something, it doesn't matter where, that arena is getting darn near sold out every single night. Caitlin Clark is incredible. I could talk forever about Caitlin Clark. I love her. I want her to play in Phoenix so bad. I'm, I'm saying that from a fan perspective, okay? But we all know it doesn't matter what team has the first overall pick in whenever that draft is, February. The lottery's coming up. Lottery is in December, I think, at some point. Um, but we all know that whoever ends up with that first overall pick is getting Caitlin Clark. It's just like this year at the NBA. Everyone knew whoever got the first overall pick was getting Wemby. And Wemby has been excellent. He has been stellar. 
he has been in rare form for rookies, which we could talk about a different time. But regardless, carrying my fantasy team, by the way. But anyway, um, Caitlin Clark. Your thoughts on Caitlin Clark? Yeah, she is. She's fantastic. She is the epitome of prime time. Um, I remember I, you know, I working for GCU when I did. I followed uh, women's college basketball. I always hear the big talk of women's college basketball. I may not know the little bit, you know, every little thing, but I hear the big stuff that happens. You know, I follow March Madness for both the men and the women. Um, I'm dialed in, and I started to hear her name and see the things that she did last year. And I was like, "This, she's insane," you know. And so, seeing what she has done, completely prime time. She owns the moment. Um, she talks the talk all a lot, but I'll tell you what, she's earned the right because she can walk the walk just as well. She is just a bona fide star, even at the college level. Wherever she goes, they're gonna get a lot better. You know, hopefully, obviously, that's here with the Mercury. But regardless, um, she's going to be fantastic. She is, like I said, she's awesome. A bona fide scorer. Um, I know she does a lot of stuff well, but she can get a bucket with the best of them. Um, yeah. And that, you know, ultimately when you're playing basketball and that that's what you need. You know, uh, having a lot of junkyard dogs are nice, but at the end of the day, you got to score a bucket. And Caitlin Clark's going to score a bucket with the best of them. Uh, so that's 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 what matters. And the fact that we could so confidently say that she's a number one overall pick with this upcoming draft class, you're talking about um, Paige Bukers, which for a while she and Caitlin Clark were kind of 1A, 1B, and now it's kind of a clear 1-2, which is crazy that you can put Paige Bukers so confidently at 2 because Paige Bukers is a bucket. Like, she is incredible. Also, Angel Reese, potentially in this draft class, she's hinted at staying in college. So we don't know for sure yet. Um, Cameron Brink. I mean, all of these players are just so good. Haley Van Lith, if she uh, declares, I'm not sure if she is or not. I can't remember what her eligibility looks like. But still, with or without Van Lith, I mean, what an amazing draft class. And it's headed by probably, I was going to say one of, but no. I think she's the most hyped um, women's basketball prospect that we have ever seen, and we're ta- and I'm talking about including Diana Taurasi, who was on the cover of Sports Illustrated at UConn. Like she, she was just as like she was darn close to being just as hyped as Caitlin Clark. If she was in college at the at the time of like social media and stuff, how it is now, did probably be a closer discussion. Um, but since she wasn't, Caitlin Clark is by far the most hyped prospect I've ever seen with women's basketball. Um, And I want to, before we move on from Caitlin Clark, address the goat of college basketball discussion. Um, Because a lot of people want to say she's way better than Diana Taurasi, and you look at the stats and it looks like that. However, and I know I just said earlier, you can argue that she's the goat of college basketball. You can, but Caitlin Clark, did not have Sue Bird on the same team. Again, not disrespecting the Iowa roster. They have a great potentially championship roster again. We saw how far they went last year. You know, they could do it again, and they probably will. Um, But she doesn't have a Sue Bird. Okay, Sue Bird and Diana Taurasi were at UConn at the same time. At the same time. 
Okay. So Diana Taurasi had to share the basketball with Sue Bird. Those are literally it's in the in the minds of a lot of people. Like that that's literally like if Michael Jordan and LeBron James went to college together of the, of women's basketball. So yeah, Diana Taurasi's stats aren't going to be Caitlin Clark's stats. If Sue Bird hadn't been there and also the rest of that UConn roster also really good. Let's let's say that. Um but still, without Sue Bird in the picture, like maybe Diana Taurasi's stats are closer to Caitlin Clark's. Statistically, yes, Caitlin Clark looks like the best player ever. Um, I think she's the next coming of Diana Taurasi, but I need to see a lot more from her before I can... Because you you can't say someone that's like, how old is Caitlin Clark? 21, 22? You can't compare her to Diana Taurasi right now. You can't. Diana Taurasi was playing for UConn when Caitlin Clark was born. That's That's not a fair discussion right now. That's wild. Let's see, right? Let's see what Caitlin Clark does at the next level before we can have that that talk. College basketball, we'll see how this season turns out. But all I know is we're definitely going to be following her throughout the rest of the season because she is just so entertaining. She is so talented. She is so confidently talented, which is like the most fun thing to watch sometimes. Um, A lot of people love to hate her because of that. Um, And there was the whole her and Angel Reese thing, you know, whatever. And Angel Reese just lost to Colorado. So, uh, (laughs) yeah, that's also LSU just lost Colorado. Crazy things are happening in women's basketball. And you know what was crazy the other night, Anthony, with women's college basketball? GCU's comeback against St. Mary's. GCU's comeback. And the best part of it all is, is that our own Chelsea Madison was on the call. Yes, the sir. The final call, that is, <laughs> that night uh, for GCU alongside Jim Howe. And, oh, and shout I got to say, I, I, was wa- I wasn't watching it, but I was following along what was happening. And there was a moment there where in the third quarter, I, I was looking at the score. I was looking at the stats. And I I was I got to be honest, I wasn't happy. You know, St. No. Mary's might have a, a fairly good team. I don't. I don't know a lot about it. You can speak to that a lot better than I can. But yeah, I. I, I wasn't happy. You know, and obviously, I. You know, Coach Molly Miller obviously was probably also not happy with, you know, what was going on. I. I just didn't see it. And then in the fourth quarter, I. I had a my own words because what I saw was stuff of legend. Uh, mm-hmm. So I'm gonna let you kind of take the driver's seat on this one. Yeah, there's a lot of, like, context before this game. You know, uh, St. Mary's College, a school that's known for basketball, mostly on the men's side, their women's program is really good. They have a new coach this year, but they have a lot of their best players returning, including um, one of their star players is, like, preseason All-WCC. Like, she's really, really good. Um, She is a big. She was causing a lot of problems with GCU. It was kind of a smaller team. Um, and that was how they went down really early. GCU, I think the biggest deficit was like 16 points, maybe more than that. Um, it, was, it was around 20, whatever it was. Um, but before this game and before this season, GCU's women's basketball team has never been this hyped up ever. Head coach Molly Miller went into the portal and said, I don't care about incoming true freshmen. We're not doing that this year. We're bringing in the vets. We're putting, like, they basically did what the Phoenix Suns did and said, screw youth, we're playing to win right now. 
And so they go and steal Trinity San Antonio from California Baptist. They go and get Shay Fano from Utah Valley, which mind you, both of those, for those that don't follow um, the WAC, which is the conference GCU is in, both of those schools are like GCU's main rivals. And she stole the star player from each of those teams. Um, she also goes out and gets an absolute sniper from Boise State. Um, and so she just puts together this roster. She unfortunately lost a lot of freshmen to the transfer portal. Um, all the freshmen she had on the, on the, on last year's roster, all but one left, which is really unfortunate. But like I said, she kind of just put everything, you know, what is the phrase? All your eggs in a basket. And she went out and just, and just counted on veteran, on veteran play on bringing in girls that have been there, done that. She stole a player. I didn't even mention this. She stole two sisters from two different schools in San Diego and Arizona State and the Eric Strupp sisters. Um, so she just put together, like, a super experienced roster. They have, like, two or three underclassmen, and the rest are just, like, been there, done that. Like, Sydney Palma is still there. She's been in college since 2018. Like, I was, I was a sophomore, I think, in high school in 2018. Yeah, I was a junior I, in high I was, school. I no, was a, sophomore. yes, I was a senior in high school in 2018. Maybe I was a junior. I don't know. Math is hard. Um, but regardless, like she, like you don't see this. You haven't seen this as a team that has no true freshman on it. She has one redshirt freshman, one redshirt sophomore, and if I'm if my memory serves me, no other underclassmen on this team. It is it is people that can hoop and have been hooping for a while. So they have that advantage of like a lot of veteran play. Um, And so because of that, and because of especially Trinity San Antonio coming to town, um, Tierra Brown's still there. Olivia Lane's still there. Nadia Evans, who we're going to talk about in a second is still there. Um, Because of all of that, they were not only the clear, like like by far number one vote in the preseason polls for the WAC, but they were also the only school in the WAC for women's basketball to make the mid-major top 25 poll. And not only did they make it, but they're 18th. They were 18th preseason. The only school in the entire conference, which is, I think, 11 schools, to make that list. And not only did, like I said, not only did they make it, because maybe you'll see a WAC school barely break in, 25, 22, somewhere in there. But they're 18th. Like, this is a team that the country is taking notice of. So then, fast forward, they go off of an exhibition where they destroyed a non-D1 team. That always happens. They won, I think, 40 to 90 or something. Um, Then you're playing St. Mary's, which, as you mentioned, I was on the call. (laughs) Uh, Game starts off super slow. I think the score at the end of the first quarter was 9 to 4 on some, like, high school basketball numbers, okay? It was hard to watch. But it was a defensive battle, which, as I said throughout the game, and you can go back and watch it on ESPN Plus On Demand um, if you want evidence of this. But I said throughout the whole game, this is a, we knew it was going to be a defensive battle. These are teams that are, like, they really, really emphasize defense with not only who they have on the roster, but how they've played in the past. Uh, Molly Miller, specifically, is known for putting together defensive teams and really emphasizing defense. Um, and she's done a great job of that in her four years at GCU, especially this year. Um, which it really showed against St. Mary's. And so we thought it was going to be close, and GCU just looked horrible offensively. They could not buy a shot from the field throughout most of the game. 
Um, so you get to the fourth quarter and they're down, like I said, close to 20. Then all of a sudden, which also during the game, one of their star players, Olivia Lane, got injured. I don't think you're listening to this, Olivia, but if you are, I hope you're good. She's the homie. Love her. Uh, yeah, hope she's good because she's awesome. Um, so they were also without their their starting center. So Shay Fano had to come in and really like play the five, which she can. She more so, I think, is there to play the four. Um, but she did great. And so she started the momentum, I would say, for GCU. Tierra Brown made some crazy defensive plays and some good offensive plays. Trinity San Antonio got really hot, which, as I mentioned, she's one of the new players. Um, and Nadia Evans, who this is, I believe, her third season at GCU, last year showed some potential to be like a, a star in the WAC. Um, she led the team in scoring, I believe, with around 11 points a game which in the whack is is really good. Um, all of a sudden, just could not miss a shot. Um, just threes were raining down, mostly from her. All of a sudden, there's like two minutes left, and GCU's down by like two points. They barely let St. Mary's score at all throughout the entire fourth quarter, especially the last half of the fourth quarter. All of a sudden, the game was close. And also the arena is packed because it was a doubleheader. The men's team was playing right after the women's team, which we'll talk about briefly as well. Um, and so the, so the Havocs were loving it. The pep band, the entire pep band was there. So it was loud. And like you said, I was commentating it, and I just could not believe what I was seeing. I had no energy with my – I'll admit that. I had no energy with my commentary the first three quarters. And then all of a sudden, the game got exciting, and I was into it, which is like, that's a personal – that's a me thing to work on. But regardless, it got super exciting. Me and Jim – again, Jim Howell was the one doing play-by-play. Could not believe the game that we were watching. Um, so then I can't remember exactly how the shots broke down. I, I think Trinity San Antonio – made like a crazy looking layup to tie the game up. Then Tierra Brown on the other side makes a crazy defensive play, which I found out later she dislocated her finger on and then just put it back into place and kept playing. She told me that herself, um, which is wild in and of itself because just before that she got like a, a finger to the nose and was bleeding all over the court. And she kept playing and making clutch plays. That's just Tierra Brown for you. Um, but yeah, the the ball ends up on the other side of the court. It's tied up 52-52. And now the play that everyone's waiting for, I think there was maybe 7 seconds left. The ball gets thrown inbounds to Trinity San Antonio. She, which I didn't notice when it was live, passes it to Nadia and just like stumbles out of bounds. Um I think probably trying to draw a foul. Didn't draw the foul. A pick was set. Crazy. It was chaos. It looked terrible. Nadia Evans throws the ball towards the hoop, which, and as soon as she threw it, and I like, you're not going to believe me that I say it, but as soon as I saw Nadia shoot it, I knew it was going in because she could not miss that night. And she was the person that needed to be taking that shot. And bang. They only had one point. They got three. Because Nadia Evans is like that. And after being down like 20, GCU comes back through that whole fourth quarter, wins it with a buzzer beater in front of the home crowd. And that clip was everywhere, Anthony. The amount of times I saw it on my feed, 
It was on CBS Sports. It was on ESPNW. It was on NCAA Buzzer Beaters. It was on NCAA March Madness. It was on every single page that exists for basketball and for women's basketball. Um, and as it should. It was a crazy shot. It was also on the Scott Van Pelt show on ESPN. So, like... Big Scott Van Pelt fan. Yeah, so that's huge that it got there. And, you know, most of the country doesn't even know what Grand Canyon University is. Um, and, yeah, crazy, crazy game. Um, well, really not crazy game. Crazy fourth quarter. Uh, and, and, you know, throughout the whole game, I was like, oh, all the hype for this GCU team. And they're going to play like this in the first game? Like, this does not bode well for this team. And, like, I was like, you know, it's just the first game. It's fine. Then all of a sudden in the fourth quarter, here's the team that everyone's been hyping up. If they had been scoring like that the whole game, they would have had, like, 80. And the final score was 55 to 52. And also, no Tino Shade to St. Mary's. They played a great game. Just in the fourth quarter, they got outplayed. Uh, And Nadia Evans, man. She is a bucket and a half. GCU has injury problems. They have problems with players on waivers right now. Like, all kinds of stuff happening behind the scenes. And they somehow pulled that game out. And you just love to see it. Like, when mid-majors get that much attention, that is, like, my favorite thing in the world. I know it's my school and I'm biased, whatever. But, like, in general, I love it when mid-majors get the spotlight. Yeah, for sure. I know that, you know, this happened the other day. Men's basketball, James Madison, upset number four team in the country, uh, Michigan State. That was a big deal. Not only Mm because James Madison football uh, is going off right now in the second year in the D1 level. They're going off. They're undefeated. And now, you know, the JMU basketball team upset the number four team. They got a ton of love. Uh, A couple things on this game. One, they got a ton of love because, A, it's a buzzer beater. Uh, two, it was opening night. You know what I mean? It's first night college basketball, and that was the that was one of the big statements. Yo, college basketball is back, man! Buzzer beater opening night. Look at this. It was massive. That's one of the reasons why I was everywhere. Um, this game specifically, um, I may have the numbers a little off, but I think the numbers were something like this: um, GCU was down by nineteen in the fourth quarter. I believe it was around the seven twenty six mark. From that mark on, they went on a 22 to nothing run. That is to correct. And the game to win the game on that buzzer beating three. Yep. That's ridiculous for anyone. I don't care what what level of basketball it is. I don't care. Men's, women's, doesn't matter. That's insane. You know, and I and look, I, I called women's basketball games at GCU. A great team, Coach Molly Miller, is all about defense. And as you mentioned, when they lock in, they lock down people. And that's exactly what happened in the final seven and a half minutes. Pure great defense, buckets that mattered, and ultimately Naughty Evans with the bucket that mattered the most to get them the win. I'd say overall a great game. Let's just call it a great fourth quarter. And uh, I bet as excited as that team was, I know Coach Molly Miller's got some probably choice words going forward. They got to be a lot better uh, going forward. But nice win, big statement, good to see. Uh, and, yeah. you know, tomorrow's a new day. Yeah, and they're going on the road right now to play North Dakota. Um, 
one of their star players who I just mentioned, Olivia Lane, used to go there. So there's some history uh, between those teams. They played last year. I cannot for the life of me remember who won, and I think I called that game. So I think I want to say GCU won, but I really don't remember. <laughs> um, but, yeah, just a fun time for women's basketball. And I think it goes back to the Caitlin Clark thing. She's brought so much hype behind uh, college women's basketball that I'm not sure that this Nadia Evans for GCU buzzer beater would have gotten as much hype as it had if Caitlin Clark hadn't brought all this hype around women's basketball. So even though obviously she has no association with GCU or even I think the state of Arizona, I don't know that for sure. I don't think, I think I would know if she was from here. Um, but still, like that that comes all the way down to the mid-major level um in a I was going to say small but it's really not <laughs> school in Phoenix you know the Caitlin Clark effect man um but yeah what a fourth quarter that game was um but speaking of you know we're going to stay on the topic of GCU you were talking about it to me um before the podcast I kind of knew this story but didn't really um so GCU men's basketball, like I said, also started the same night as the women's basketball team did. Um, and, you know, they have a lot of they also have a really good, very hyped roster. A lot of different sites are already guessing that they're going to win the WAC. They're certainly the favorite to do it. Um, and they could be like people are saying it or at least implying it. They could be one of those teams that upsets somebody in the first round. Um, they could be a second weekend team is what a lot of people are saying. That's how good they are. They think they could beat a non-mid-major or at least a really good team, whoever that happens to be. Um, but a guy that I think not a lot of people expected to be the star or at least immediately be the star really showed out against um, Southeastern Mich- Missouri. Southeastern Mis- Missouri. Yes. Um, Southeastern Simo. Missouri. He really showed out in that game against SEMO, and that's Tyon Grant Foster, um, who we all knew was going to be good, but he scored a career-high 30 points, um, which is significant because he hasn't played basketball since 2021 at the collegiate level. Um, Anthony, do you want to tell the story? Yeah, so this is crazy, and I looked up some interesting stuff about him. So, um like you said, 2021, the class of he was actually the number two JUCO player in the class of 2021. He's from Kansas. He was originally committed to then go play at Kansas, following you know following his JUCO career. Decides to go elsewhere, goes to DePaul, and in his very first game, 2021, first game with DePaul, at halftime he collapses and is rushed to the hospital. With, you know, with an injury, with a heart issue. No one knows if he's going to play basketball again. Then, you know, fast forward to 2023, first game back on the court with GCU this time. And he just completely goes off 30 points on 10 of 15 shooting. He was really the motor of GCU. And, you know, we talked off the air they won by 21 points which is great you know they may have left their foot off the gas a little bit against southeast missouri maybe you'd like to see more uh, a margin of victory in hindsight but overall he was fantastic i did not know the story going in i saw some people commenting on it after the game that's what brought this to my attention and i 
you know, dug deeper, but this is, this is just, you know, insane. His averages while at the Juco level was, you know, eight minutes, three points, two rebounds, or rather, excuse me, that's for, that's for KU's 2020-2021 squad. My bad. But that's, you know, he didn't play a lot, didn't average a lot. And then all of a sudden, you know, he goes down. We don't know if he's going to play basketball again. Comes back and has this major blowout. It's great to see, you know, it's a six seven guy. He gives you some nice size if you're GCU. You really like to see it. And to show off like this with this story, it's it's really been great. Yeah, and you love stories like that. Um, and from what I can tell, he's a good guy. Um, he fits in great with a really fun GCU roster. Um, I did their media day the other day, just a really fun group of dudes. Um, and I, they have a lot of potential, man. I mean, the country sees it. And if Tyon Grant Foster leads them with that on a team that already had like Ray Harrison, Gabe McLaughlin, and like other players that are returning that are just stellar, um, the ceiling is the roof, as Michael Jordan said. Uh, but no, the sky is the limit um, on that team, really. Um, and I think before we close out the episode, there's a lot that goes into this. Um, so I don't know how in depth we're going to go right now, but kind of the biggest story in college sports right now is what in the world is happening at Michigan football. Their coach in Harbaugh just got suspended um, because of sign stealing and stuff, play stealing, whatever, whatever you want to call it in football. Sign stealing is baseball, but yes, no, 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 it's, it's sign stealing. Yeah. Uh, cause you hear that more in baseball is why I'm like hesitating. You don't hear it ever really in football. Um, or at least not as frequently. It's not as big of an issue, I guess. Um, but that's what's happening. And, uh, there's just like a lot of little bits and pieces. Um, correct me if I get any of this wrong, Anthony, but my understanding is that one of the assistant coaches, and like kind of a lower assistant coach. Yeah, like Mid- deep, deep recesses of yeah, assistant yeah, yeah. coaches. Yeah. Um, was was the one that was caught stealing the signs. And the way that he would do that was he would Venmo with his name people to go to opposing teams' games, sit opposite their sideline, and just record everything. Um, again, he did this under his name. I'm pretty sure he also bought the tickets under his name. Um, I think there was also a picture of him in disguise on the sideline of like a Central Michigan game or something. I don't know. Just like a lot of crazy antics happening with this coach with stealing signs. Also, they were stealing signs of teams that they weren't even playing and giving them to teams that were playing them. So those teams would lose so that they wouldn't have to like they would have a less chance of facing them in the playoffs of of college football or whatever like there's just so many layers to this story finally it comes down to Harbaugh getting suspended um and Michigan appealing it um and you were telling me before the podcast all the crap with that so if you want to talk about that yeah so you know diving into it a little bit giving us some context 
um, sign stealing in in of itself isn't against the rules. You can naturally see what signals that they're using to communicate, especially, you know, if they go no huddle, you're going to use some sort of signals to communicate. Similar to in baseball, you're going to use some sort of hand signals to communicate whether a runner is going to steal a base, whether they're going to throw off and use the pick attempt. There's going to be some sort of sign there uh, that you may be looking to intercept so you can tell. Uh, football is going to be similarly. They may use some sort of hand signal to show what kind of play they want to run or what route, what kind of defensive they're going to do, defensive adjustments they're going to make. They're going to use some sort of sign to show that. You're essentially taking the signs that they're using, using it, um, and then trying to figure out what it means. That way you can get a step ahead. And that is that is a practice that happens and that is deemed as a gray area in sports. You know, teams are going to do it. That's fine. So be it. Um, the issue here is that they used video to advance scout um, and look at their signs on video. It's one thing, you know, there's video footage out there. I can go look at a team's previous game and see what they did and what they ran. And that's how I scout them. That's fine. That's normal. That's good, almost. Um, but if I were to look at their signs, you know, doing what Connor Stallions, who was the person for Michigan, um, allegedly, again, this is all allegedly, nothing is fully confirmed, but like it pretty much happened. Um, at least it looks that way. Um, so he records it, which is a big no-no. That is against the rules. You can't do that much. Um, and so this was a big debate. So the NCAA picked up on it. And they go to review it, but naturally it's going to take a while. It's midseason. They're in a season of it. So be it. A lot of Big Ten coaches, Big Ten being the conference, Michigan plays in, Big Ten coaches got together and raised or went to the Big Ten commissioner, Tony Petiti, and said, who, by the way, is a first, this is his first year as commissioner of the Big Ten. Get that out there. Uh, they go to him and they say, hey, this is an issue. If you want, you know, we have to be ethically responsible here. He broke the rules. We don't like it that he broke the rules. Again, allegedly, nothing is confirmed. Jim Harbaugh's involvement in this. Nothing has. Someone low level on his staff was doing this. Nothing is connected to Harbaugh as of right now. But um, Big Ten coaches go to the commissioner and say, hey, um, this is an issue for um, ethics reasons. You should do something about this because this isn't fair to the teams who he knew our signals. He knew what we we're going to do. That's not fair. That's this is their argument. Um, and then ultimately, that was back and forth. Michigan came down with evidence that Ohio State and Rutgers were stealing signs and giving them per to Purdue in the championship game last year. Um, so there was a lot of he said, she said back and forth. But the big point is nothing was confirmed. Nothing has been confirmed other than Connor Stallions did this thing. That, that much we know. Um, outside of that, who did what, if Harbaugh knew about it, if anyone, whoever was involved, that much is all up to 
personal opinion. No one knows anything to be true on that front. They're still trying to figure that out. The NCAA launched an investigation into that, and they won't be done with that for a while. So all that's happening. Uh, eventually, uh, the Big Ten commissioner, Basidi, came today and said they're going to suspend Jim Harbaugh, Jim Harbaugh, three games um, that he cannot be there on Saturday of the games. He can be with the team all week long, but he cannot be on the sidelines on Saturday for the games. Uh, Michigan did not like this, and for reason, a lot of the argument um, in favor of Harbaugh, uh, Harbaugh and that suspension uh, not happening is, hey, we can't confirm any of this. So, you know, in the traditional court of law, you know, innocent until proven guilty. You don't have evidence that it has happened. So you cannot charge him with a suspension or punishment of any kind. And Michigan was, you know, they handed them the suspension and Michigan essentially appealed it. And by that, um, I was reading it to Chelsea. It said they followed, they filed a restraining order, which is an, a way of saying, hey, like, you can't do this. Har let Harbaugh, um, let Jim Harbaugh coach for these games. And, you know, we can address it, figure it out later when the NCAA finishes their investigation. So again, a lot of he said, she said, a lot of lawyer terms and stuff that, you know, I'll be honest, I don't understand. But I don't need to because someone's going to explain it to me in terms that I do understand. The part that I thought was really funny, and I explained this to Chelsea, was that the judge who's expected to hear out Michigan's restraining order appeal is an alumni of Michigan and currently is a lecturer at the university, which means, theoretically, he's likely going to rule in Michigan's favor considering he went there. I'm sure he is somewhat biased to the university. So that adds another layer onto it to where Michigan is now seems to be favored in this court ruling what ends up happening. So it's this massive thing where at one point there was a rumor that Ohio State was the one that leaked that they were stealing signs at the NCAA to kind of get this whole ball, whole ball rolling. Again, like I said, it's a lot of he said, she said, nothing's been confirmed, but the entire scandal, it started going slow. And, you know, there was not much to it. It was all kind of random. No one really knew anything. And I said, okay, whatever. Like, it's a thing that's interesting, cool. Some rules were broken. What exactly happened? I don't know. And it just snowballed into complete and utter craziness and madness. And now all of a sudden, you know, three weeks left of the college football regular season. And just it's absolute chaos surrounding Michigan, who's a really good football team. But now people are asking, does this leave an asterisk if they win a title if they win something because they're in contention. They are steamrolling schools every week. Does this leave an it's asterisk? probably because they know what plays they're going to do. Well, um, no. <laughs> and, and, and maybe, right, theoretically, at the, at the end of the day, a lot of football players and even NFL people have come on set. 
I can know what you're doing that I still have to stop you. Like, no, even if it doesn't make that big of a difference. Exactly. So that's part of the argument is does it make that big of a difference? Should it still have an asterisk? What does this do? And you know, it's 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 a really big argument and it's really massive news. Mm -hmm. Um Chelsea, I don't know if you have any um in there, any point you want to cut in, uh, but just different, like what are your views on it? What do you see? I mean I would be really surprised if Harbaugh didn't know um, just because like we said, this is like a low level coach, but I saw a ton of pictures and videos of him right next to Harbaugh during games on the sidelines. And this is a guy that ordinarily wouldn't be there. So that's the main evidence for me that Harbaugh knew. Um, And I don't know, either way, Michigan is very obviously to me, guilty of this um i would that coach isn't gonna just do it and then not tell the team what's going you know what i mean like i think a lot of people knew about it and they're gonna pretend like they didn't know about it and they're let just you know the one guy take the fall um but at the end of the day this is a whole team thing and they should be punished for it and if it's just gonna be harbaugh being suspended for three games that's pretty weak um because i do think it's a pretty i think it's a pretty big deal but like how much of an impact is it making? You know, I don't think we'll ever really know that. Um, but you're right. If they win a national championship, that's going to be like, well, people are going to feel the same way about that that they did about the Astros in their last championship. It's the same vibe of like, well, yeah, they won, I guess, but they were cheating while they did it. Um, so I don't know. But what I do know is it's a really interesting story. It's still happening. Um, it's been happening for a couple of weeks just now with the Harbaugh suspension. It's like really at the top of like all sports media right now. Um, so we're going to definitely keep our eye on it. Um, and as we wrap this episode, say that that'll probably be the topic of another episode another day. Um, but thank you guys for listening. This is our first like over hour episode we've had in a hot minute. Um, just because so many things are happening. I love talking about college sports. College sports are more entertaining to me than professional sports. Um, especially like football is just way more fun for me to watch when it's college than it is in the NFL. I don't know why that is. I think that's because I was raised watching Oregon Duck games. Um, but I digress. Thank you guys for listening to yet another episode of The Final Call um support women's basketball teams support women's sports watch college sports do all that fun stuff um we love college sports season it's great um follow us on social media at chelsea underscore underscore mend at anthony ferrero seven and also at tfc underscore sports underscore pod again that's on x and instagram um for updates for clips for content about us about just fun things um, that have to do with this podcast. I was going to say most of the time, we'll say sometimes. Um, but yeah, just keep listening. Um, big episode 2-0, whenever that comes out, hopefully next week. But I am a senior in college, so, you know, hopefully next week. Um, otherwise, it'll be the week after that. Um, but regardless, thank you guys for listening. Keep listening. Keep supporting us. We appreciate the support so much. It means so much to us. And we will see you guys whenever the next episode comes out.